right, Buzz Buzz Babies, we are back for another episode of Blake's Buzz, and this week I've got a fucking rock star in the house. Ibrahim Mustafa is here to talk comics. He's got some new stuff out by uh, the name of Retroactive. He's doing these new humanoid books that are just balls to the wall, intense, rock and roll, fast-paced, action-packed. They are wonderful. He's also written for basically every publisher on the market. He has been around the comic book town, and now he is in the house to talk on Blake's Buzz, and we are so excited to have you, sir. How are you doing on this lovely Saturday? I am well, man. Thank you for the lovely intro. I wish everybody, if I could just walk into rooms and that would happen, that'd be amazing. But I don't go anywhere, so that's... <laughs> Same. That's why I started a podcast. Yeah. I just, I'm just at home all the time. Uh, so yeah, yeah man, it's crazy how many. I, I was looking at your backlog, and you, I think, have, is the only publisher you haven't written for is Vault or drawn for, or have you worked for them too? I haven't done anything with Vault yet. That's what um, I thought. I was like, that, that was like the only place I couldn't find that you Vault. If you're listening, hire him. He's good. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of what those guys do. Adrian and uh, his brother. I mean, they're they're um, they're doing awesome stuff. Like they're they've sort of you know they've really like taken over uh, the spot that used to exist with like Vertigo and you know yeah. like that kind of stuff. Um, and I should point out, I haven't written for as many publishers as I've drawn for. Drawn the for. writing part is a little you know on the newer side. For me but i'm i'm looking to you know trying to do more things that i both write and draw so hopefully that'll be you know we're manifesting it here <laughs> i i kind of like it's almost not fair like because you're these these last two original graphic novels you put out are real real good oh thank uh, you and, man um dude like Thank, thank you for writing great comics. <laughs> uh, but I love your art. That's that I I first stumbled across you when I stumbled across Christopher Sabella, and mm -hmm. I bought a bunch of his books and I read High Crimes, and that blew me away. It was like both of you wrote wrote and drew and like that was like a dream team. Like you guys made a phenomenal comic book, and oh, it thanks, really. Man like just all the research he did uh and 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 compared with like your art and and the the realism that you inhabit like in your in your character models and facial expressions and you do action scenes like so well and and that translated well into like the climbing and and crazy climate that that you get in Everest like you, your style was really great for that and pulled that off and so yeah Thanks, I found man. I found you you know just drawing and now like I'm stumbling across like your stories that you're I mean you're you have a colorist and uh and a and a letterer but I mean you're writing and drawing and these dude these new humanoid books are on another level like oh thank you man thank you yeah it, you know where's it come from like because it I just feel like you recently i mean uh uh count was what two years ago one year ago uh came a year ago yeah it came out ago. march march of 2021 so yeah um yeah you know i when i first started like there was really this kind of binary idea perpetuated in comics that was like you got a writer and an artist you know and i i just kind of bought into that because it just like was what i was being told and i just thought oh okay and you know obviously there were a lot of uh, stuff that was done by, you know, what people would dub as cartoonists who both write and draw or what have you. But 
Um, I was newer in my comics, uh, you know, reading sort of experience and, and career at that point. So I wasn't aware of as much of that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, it was it was a thing where I started to realize, like, you know what? I think I could do this. Like, I have ideas and I, I think it's really just sort of finding, like, learning the math of, you know, like a story structure and how to plug those ideas into that formula and then, you know, sort of make it your own thing. And of course, you got to, you know, there's dialogue and stuff, too, that isn't necessarily like a, a formulaic thing but um yeah so i i uh got the opportunity i did a book that's actually going to be released for the first time through diamond in the direct market uh through a new publisher called fair square comics um i did a book called jaeger which i was nominated for an eisner for it was a um like a digital first thing through a, an app that's like not really around anymore um and it was a it's a post world war 2 story about like a a spy who was hunting down nazis like after the war um and that opportunity came about because when chris and i did high crimes um you know that was digital first as well so that was something we were already familiar with uh that came out through something called monkey brain which used to be on comicsology i think it yeah. might still be um and then uh, an editor at Dark Horse read it and was like, hey, do you guys want to put out the the collected version of this in print through Dark Horse? And we were like, yeah. And so that editor by the name of Jim Gibbons, he eventually started to work for this other app that uh, is what I did um, uh, Jaeger through. It was called Stila. So uh, when when he got that job as like the senior editor there, he came to me and was like, hey, do you want to pitch me something? And I was like, yeah, should I like find a writer to work with? He's like, no, man, you're a storyteller. Just pitch me something. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I guess he's right. You know, <laughs> so I just thought, you know what? I had this idea that I wanted to do and let me let me figure it out. So that kind of gave me the, uh, you know, confidence to go, OK, I, I feel like I can do this. And then from there, it became about, you know, like what stories do I want to tell and how do I make that happen? You know, and I was lucky enough that once I got a foothold as an artist, it became easier. I had some inroads at publishers that I could say, hey, can I pitch you something? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, like, I didn't know you did that, you know. That's awesome. Well, I mean, yeah, you definitely have, I mean, clout, right? I mean, you're, I, I don't know, I don't know many people who read a lot of comics that don't recognize your name and your style. Oh, thanks, uh, and, man. It's hard to, I mean, you know, I, in my opinion, anyway, I, I hope I hope that's the case. You know, it's <laughs> we, I do all this stuff in a vacuum for the most part. You know what I mean? So like at this point, we were joking about not leaving the house. Like, I feel like I could be a ghost that just haunts my wife. I, I don't know. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I'm just like opening and closing cupboards and complaining when there's a cup too close to the edge of the table, you know? <laughs> Have you have you gotten COVID yet or like? No, thankfully not. We've been and my wife is a nurse, so I mean she's oh, in a wow. hospital. Um, but yeah, we've been we've been very lucky. I mean we've been we've been extra careful. Like we're still pretty locked down. You know, I'm yeah. not. I I haven't been to a movie since before the pandemic. We're not. You know, we're we're keeping it pretty pretty safe just to be. You know, because she she works with a, a patient base that's like very very sick. So mm. if they get you know COVID, like that's it's bad. Yeah. yeah. So we've been trying to you know do our part for that to not make it worse for anyone else so that and i just i mean i already work from home yeah thank yeah. you my wife she's amazing yeah uh and yeah same like i um i i got to work from home now and i don't I like going to the grocery stores like my new adventure right because yeah, that's like the yeah. one place we have to go every now and then is mm -hmm. like to get food and so like my dad and i'll like go to the store together and i'm you know i mask up everywhere i'm, I'm vaccinated and uh it's i always see those memes that's like you know like neo dodging the bullets and it's like people that Dude. haven't had covid yet yeah <laughs> it's yeah like, that's shit. exactly how i feel yeah it's funny um i went to uh home depot and michael's crafts the other day and i i just felt like i was a man about 
about town. Like, <laughs> that was like the first, it was like the first outing I'd had in a while, you know, and it was like, of course, masked up and everything. But um, even then you come home and you're just like, I don't know, should I have done that? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. I went to World Market for coffee instead of ordering it on Amazon. And, and like, uh, my sister and I, like, got all this like international candy and like you know t tons of like munchies like don't yeah don't go into world market lit ladies and gentlemen because oh dude it's extra expensive <laughs> you ever have the botan rice candy uh no i've heard about that though oh, like i was looking for good it. stuff yeah it comes I, a little they, sticker i got these um <laughs> oh well, they were uh these little like uh japanese strawberry gummies and like Ooh. they were individually wrapped uh which was i guess was good because it made me eat them slightly slow slower. down a little bit yeah <laughs> but then, i was like i was like these are like magical um so yeah it's like all the that store is so crazy and it, yeah. but yeah so like we went there and i was like you know, we're all leaving and, uh, and, and we're like, man, like we just like risk getting sick for munchies and, and coffee that <laughs> right. we could have ordered on Amazon. But I mean, I, I mean, you just got to kind of, you do I mean, right. The same, the, the sanity to get outside every now and then. Yeah, man, for sure. Uh, I, I need to do more of that, you know, making these comics is like, it's such long hours. That's a big part mm -hmm. of how I ended up being, I used to be, you know, I was going, well, obviously I was younger, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 40 now, but I was, uh, I was going out every weekend you know my I was I was a break dancer in my younger years and like <laughs> my friends and I would go out every Friday and Saturday night you know like go find a different place to dance at and stuff and and then you know as you get older and you settle down and then I started working from home uh you know obviously way before the pandemic because that's comics and uh and those you know 50 60 70 hour weeks a lot of times sometimes more and so it just kind of became this thing where i just was like home more and more and then yeah. uh you know then amazon became more of a thing and you can just have stuff delivered to your front door and then mm. now we got all these apps for groceries and stuff so yeah it's yeah. a i think I, I might be dead i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been uh i i signed up for like that a doordash special because they were they gave you like a free three months of dash pass the uh, dash oh yeah pass the other day and like i love it but it is expensive. I don't know how people right. do it all the time. Cause you're like, you're like, Oh yeah, I want this, this, and this. And then they'll, they'll be like, Oh, do you want them to swing by seven 11 for you? And you're like, Oh yeah, give me this, this, and this from. Well, they do that too. That's wild. Yeah, yeah man. It, they'll like tell you, you can get like additional stuff. If you order within like eight minutes after you place the original order. And then, and then, you know, like, I'm like, well, I got to give them a, a better tip. Cause they're going here too. And then so right. it's like delivery fees tip. And then it's like, wow, I just spent a bunch of money. Um, and, but it's so like, it's so convenient to just like the last like third, like, cause I work 10 to seven. And so like, you know, six 30 or so, like, I'm like, Oh, order some food. It'll be like getting here when I get off. And right. But yeah, it's uh, I, I'm not a rich man and I need to not do that. Cause even with the discount from dash Pass, it's, it's still like, uh, like Chipotle, it was like 30 bucks after tips and deliver. And I was like, man, I, guess I got a burrito and chips. Like what, the, what happened? Oh, wow. Here? For real. Yeah. That's yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, yeah, it's tough, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back out into the world more. Um, you know, hopefully like a better work life balance is part of that equation too. And, and I'm, I'm striving for that. Cause you know, as you mentioned, like doing both the writing and the drawing now, like that's, it, it's a little bit more, uh, yeah, that's a lot a of little, time in the office. I would think. Yeah. 
you know, I do find the writing part actually goes by much quicker because I'm used to drawing, which is frankly like the hard part, you know, mm -hmm. like no disrespect to, you know, writers out there. I am <laughs> one of you. But like, yeah, it's uh, it's it's just not as time consuming. I mean, you know, I yeah. I wrote the script for Count, you know, a 120 page graphic novel. I wrote it in like under two weeks. I think it was like 12 days or something. Wow. Um, and I mean, I had I had a very detailed outline, so I was already like working from, you know, uh, some framework there. But like um, and that was pretty much the final version of the script, like a couple small edits but um you know because drawing it you know took me six seven months so it's I like bet. <laughs> you know I yeah it, it looks damn good though like thank the, you man dude the, the action sequences and like the just the whole premise of putting count of monte cristo like in the far future with all this crazy technology and weaponry and uh redesigning the lightsaber basically like i loved that that uh thanks that man sword man that was and it looked so cool it was like it like it's like smoke and like forms like oh, it, was, it was so like seeing that on the page was just gnarly and i was like wow like you're it, it was so impressive and i was i kind of wanted to ask you about that like mm -hmm. with it you know using the structural bones of count of monte cristo um is it like does that make it harder or easier because i you know some of the stories told right but then you also have to put your own spin on it and make it your own yeah because uh, you don't you don't want it to be like a carbon copy just in a different environment and so right. is that like does that make it like more like more difficult as a writer uh, yeah uh, definitely because i i think when you're just coming up with everything from whole cloth like there's nothing to compare it to i mean obviously you can compare anything to anything but from a from a one-to-one -one standpoint you're not going this is a, a reinterpretation of this specific thing right mm. so there's no one's gonna go oh i like it better than the other one or you know oh this is too much <laughs> like that or whatever um and it's funny you know i've I, I try not to read too many reviews but i've seen a few for count that like some people thought that it was you know they liked that it was like less because the, the original is it's very long it's a, you know 1200 page book or something mm. and it's it's super lengthy and you know very soap operatic and stuff so some people liked that it was more to the point some people didn't like that it wasn't exactly like the original you know so it's like you kind of you can't please everybody with that kind of thing but um i I definitely I think one of the things that makes the Count of Monte Cristo like such an enduring story is that so much of it has inspired like revenge stories from there on out like it's kind of the, the granddaddy of them all right so yeah. um, there's a lot of stuff that like you know old boy for example is very similar to Count of Monte Cristo in a lot of ways right um, so there's like there's the DNA and that that um, all sort of revenge stories share and I think that uh, to a degree that made it a little bit more like well you know, if it's kind of similar, that's okay because you know, they all sort of have this particular thing in them. But um, yeah, I, I definitely didn't want it to be like a, a total remake. I, I like to look at it as like kind of a remix of the idea. And like you said, you know, I said it in a different, I mean, it's kind of this other world where I don't really say like the name, you know, it's not earth, but it's not, you know, yeah. I don't name the planet or anything like that. But you know, this is a society where like technology is different, right? Like they don't have guns, they don't have combustion engines, like everything is sort of built around like gravity and, 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 you know, the polarity that exist within like you know these earthly minerals so you have islands that float right and that's kind of a fantasy trope but for me I, I wanted to give it a reason I was like well why do these land masses float well in my head you know the the ores and minerals and whatnot within the ground have magnetic properties that you know there's like a reverse polarity thing happening so it's like when you put two magnets of the same charge together and they want to force themselves apart mm -hmm. like that's what's keeping these these land masses apart from each other like up in the air in my head right so then I go okay well if this 
if this world has that, then, you know, conceivably they would harness that and use it for their own industrial revolution. And so everything in this world kind of works that way. Like that sword, you know, it basically like magnets, you know, pulls in like a magnet, like all these surrounding elements and hardens them into a blade, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the vehicles hover by sort of, you know, like a, again, like a harnessed version of that reverse polarity. So um, I think with the world building stuff, it really allowed me to deviate from the original story in a lot of ways. Um, and also, I, frankly, I wanted to make it like kind of an action movie type of feel, whereas, you know, the original book, like I think there's like one sword fight, maybe. There's like a, du <laughs> there's a brief like yeah. gun duel and that's it. It's very, you know, it's a lot of talking. So <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted it to feel like a, you know, like a swashbuckling kind of adventure thing. Yeah, and it it did like it. I read that so fast. Like I I read that this this morning with finally like because I knew we were gonna talk and uh, I mean I was kind of worried. I was like initially I was like I was like God like can I just for once not procrastinate because like <laughs> I, you know like the college grad school me like you, totally, can, you can get out of the university but you can't get out of the procrastination ways right. right. And so I was like, I was like, man, but I mean, I get up at, I usually get up at seven o'clock in the morning, even on the weekends and do like blog and, and podcast stuff. So like I, I'm reading it this morning, drinking a coffee. And I mean, dude, it was like, I blinked and it was over and, and not <laughs> that, not that it was short and not right. that, you know, that it wasn't, uh, it, it didn't, not that it had like the narrative layers and compelling characters, but it was just like, I could not stop turning those pages. Thank um, you, man. Dude, it was like. It was so good. And, and the way you draw action sequences is you don't, I, I don't see a lot of, um, it's, it's very different. Like I, I read a lot of X-Men comics and stuff, which is mm -hmm. they, you know, it, it's very melodramatic as well. And, and soap opera esque, but you know, there's always like the big splash pages and stuff. And you didn't, you don't do a lot of splash pages. Like you do like a lot of like your, your action comes from like, you know, panel sequencing, uh, yeah. that the, I keep, I keep wanting to call it a train, but it's like, they're, they're fighting on that airship and, and it, you didn't even break the panels, you know? And there's like, but you see like the movement in like the, the triplets of like character sets while they're fighting. Right. And I thought that was so smart and just thank you, so man. Great on the page. I love action stuff. It's my favorite stuff to draw. And I always, and I really appreciate you saying all that and, and picking up on that because it's something that's really important to me. I, I think a lot of comics, you know, by nature of the medium, they, you know, we break up like, uh, like a fight scene. So it'd be like a punch here, a kick there, you know, a mm -hmm. headbutt or whatever. But like, you know, they're, they're broken up and sometimes they're even like sort of, you know, maybe little insert panels around like a splash image of two people fighting or whatever. I want it to be as fluid as possible. So that's what I'm always trying for. And I want, I want the reader to be able to see the connection between the movements so that it's more like, it's more like you're filling in the blanks of like a flip book almost in your brain instead of just yeah. looking at like separate static images. So for a lot of that stuff, like that, that train sequence you mentioned, and we call it a train and that's kind of, you know, it's basically a train. It's just in the sky, but, <laughs> um, uh, I actually like choreographed that and, and recorded myself doing it all. And then, oh, no you shit. know, kind of broke that's it apart awesome. that way. Yeah. Which is, I mean, God, if you saw the video, it looked like the star Wars kid thing, but like it was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I got the, the sort of flow of the movements right. So that, you know, because I feel like, I feel like even though you can't see the in-between stuff, like it, it, it's apparent on the page, you know, mm -hmm. that and I, Alex, I, Alex Ross does that. He has his friends like dr dress up as superheroes and like pose. And, right. Like, right. <laughs> 
Yeah, and he was a. I mean, Alex Ross is the whole reason I'm in comics, frankly, because I saw his stuff and I was just like, "How do you do that?" You know. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like I, I, you know, I try not to get too referential in terms of like you know photo stuff or casting or anything like that. But um, for accuracy of certain things, like you absolutely like just got to do that, you know, to mm-hmm. make it like really believable. Um, and I tried to experiment. You know, like, there's another panel in that book where uh, the main character Red Zan like kind of goes through a bunch of these like soldiers in a hallway and you kind of follow like the the trail of like smoke sort of or particle stream from his sword as it kind of has like and you see the path it's taken and then he's standing at the end of it and you kind of infer what happened like okay it twirls here it kind of goes into this person there and comes out you know so I was trying to really play with like how to express that stuff visually in a way that like maybe hasn't been seen a lot or done before, if possible, you know, yeah. and uh, that looks cool. Now, is that when you start doing stuff like that and and that scene was so great, that's when he, I'm, this is where you're going to find out that I'm super terrible with character names, but that's when he <laughs> confronts the 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 secret that you know i don't want to spoil um but right. the, the the super ninja uh, right and that's but i love that line of dialogue where he's like he's like you led me somewhere before or your guards led me somewhere before and never again and then like and then the sword comes and i was like ah like it was so good. Uh, <laughs> thanks man but uh as when it does that being the the writer and the artist and with stuff like that does mm-hmm. it get easier to experiment when when you're on like both sides of it or, or again like yeah. is it like just like double headache you're like what did i do to myself no no that's actually I, the reason i a big part of the reason why i wanted to start writing for myself is for stuff like that because you know because i'm also drawing it and because i'm you know primarily an artist uh like i think of these things in a, in a way that's more visual i think than someone whose like main profession is only writing you know what i mean uh not to say that writers aren't visual thinkers but it's a whole different ball game when say i i take a script from another writer if i'm just drawing the thing and when i'm putting it on the page like i have a different relationship to this script than they did right mm. and so and i also as an artist I have to study different things that a lot of writers just like it's not part of their sort of, you know, DIY curriculum, I think, uh, because it's not no one emphasizes these things as important bits for writers in the sense of like page structure, uh, like, you know, every page, you know, this is like a Joe Kubert kind of rule, like every page should have one extreme close up and one like super far away kind of pulled back thing so you can see yeah. everything right a lot of writers aren't writing with that kind of stuff in mind. You know what I mean? It's not a hard and fast rule, but it generally the best pages you'll see will have that kind of stuff, right? Like they, they, it makes for a more dynamic page because you're showing everyone the environment and you're giving a real intimate look at something, you know? Um, another thing is like every page should generally have like one big impact moment, right? Now I know we're in the, the, the you know, Alan Moore acolyte stage of comics where a lot of people are doing nine panel grids or they're doing that like, you know, four stack panels and it's all the exact mm-hmm. same, but the character's just moving around and stuff and that has its place as well obviously but i think when you're talking a more dynamic experience especially given how many pages you have you know you want to make the most of it sometimes um you know so every page will have that sort of big moment and you got to allow room for that and a lot of scripts don't do that right a lot of scripts will like you know say say you know wolverine and cyclops come through a portal right and it's like they're here holy shit they're coming in on the bad guys or something well if every other panel on that page is just cram full of characters and dialogue then those take up the most room and you can't have that big moment where the characters show up right so as a writer and artist i can budget for those moments better and really make sure that i can like sell that stuff um 
the other thing is if I think of a sequence that I think is cool, like I, I could write around it. Like there's a moment in the book when, when Red Zan breaks out of the prison, when like you see the one guard kneeling in the foreground over the body of his friend and then the other guard standing in the background. And then it's like a three panel thing where in panel two, the background guard is like, like sucked out of the <laughs> panel. And then the third panel, Red Zan is standing there where he was, right? So like that kind of thing doesn't really happen very often between a writer communicating an idea to an artist. Like, because it's just gets lost in translation or, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe that's something that is a little bit more unique to my sensibility that somebody I'm working with doesn't think that way. And so it just allows me to like, you know, I always use this, this analogy. It's like, it's like wearing my own clothes, whereas like, or picking them out for myself. Whereas sometimes when you work with a writer, it's like somebody went into your closet and was like, wear this shirt and these pants. And you're like, I, but I don't think that looks good. Like, or I wouldn't, <laughs> that's not my like first date or job interview outfit, you know? So I, this, this allows me to put my best foot forward in a way that I can kind of, you know, feel the most confident about what I'm doing. That's dope. Like, like I said, and again, like just to not congratulate your narrative prowess enough, but it like, (laughs) it's, uh, it, it works. And in that scene you talked about when that escape scene, when he just like gives up on the tunnel, and, and like yeah. all, all of that happens so fast and it's like oh like he takes out these two guards and then he puts on the outfit and then he's like running through the halls and then he's like jumping and grabbing onto a spaceship and i was just like it's i read a lot of comics and i get i get a lot of review copies i get a lot of stuff sent to me and you know I, and and i love them um but it has been a hot minute since i was like i had that like swept away feeling in in action beats right because so so much there you know so many people do action traditionally and 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 i don't want to like cut anybody because it's it always looks good on the page but it's just like it's with so much comic book coming out all the time you know it it makes it that much harder to stand out as creators And, and, and everybody has inspirations and, and a lot of people take inspiration from like, you know, the greats. And, and so we see similar, um, similar structure and story beats and, and these, these visual cues, right. And, mm-hmm. and count. And as we should probably talk about soon, retroactive, <laughs> like you, you, you were, um, it was all, it all felt very fresh. Um, and it was like fresh and clean and gorgeous and, and just like breakneck speed. Like I got fucking whiplash from reading your comics. Like it was just like really intense. And so like, kudos to you, man. Cause you're, you're doing it right. And you're, and you're standing out and thank you, man. I, I don't know what kind of deal like humanoids gave you, but like, I really hope I love that, uh, it, it, you and Hassan and as, as Brad's or colors. Yeah. Brad yeah. Simpson, like the three of you together is like dream team. It's that. Oh, like, thank you, man. That's yeah. like Brew Baker, Sean Phillips. Like you, you got, if you guys keep working together, like, Oh dude, th- this, no. is, this is the <laughs> Trinity. Well, first of all, that means the world to me, man, everything you just said. And I really, really appreciate it. And yeah, like I can't praise uh, Brad and Haas enough. Like they are, I mean, 100% dream team. That's how I feel. Like they're, you know, they're wonderful collaborators. Like, you know, they're, they're good buddies. And I mean, you know, Brad's colors are just incredible. Like yeah. it's so hard to find a colorist that like, you know, you, that understands like your sensibilities as an artist to the point that like, I mean, I don't have, I don't send notes to Brad really other than like you know oh i can we make this character's hair this color or something like that you know what i mean (laughs) but like uh or you know uh, unless something was like supposed to be a specific thing and i forgot to tell him like it's pretty much like 
he sends a page and it's like, yep, awesome. Thank you, man. It's beautiful. <laughs> you know, um, the way he paints like skies and like just, you know, outdoor stuff is just incredible. Like, I mean, so yeah, uh, it, I'm really fortunate to be working with those guys and I'm, I'm trying to attach us all to the hip together as much as possible. <laughs> so, nice. um, but yeah, man, no, it's been great working with humanoids. Like they, they gave me a three book deal off okay. of count. So count retroactive. And then I got a third book coming out through them that I'm just starting to work on now. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, it's just been really fun to like, you know, kind of do unrestrained, like tell the kind of stories I want to tell. And, you know, you were talking about sort of like the action and the way that, you know, a lot of comics don't, uh, sort of embrace that stuff as much or in the same way. And I think a lot of that honestly has to do with the fact that, uh, it's comics have become such a writer driven Mm. medium over the last, you know, since the image revolution, pretty much, I think it was kind of like, oh, these artists are getting too big for their britches. Let's really focus on the writers you know um and whether i don't know how much of that was intent or just you know a byproduct of it or whatever but and then of course when you have superstars like grant morrison and you know other people of that generation really cementing their prowess and whatnot like it it, you know um but it's led us to this point where writers get a lot of credit for everything right even thing i mean you know dude when we were doing high crimes you know i love chris like a brother he's fantastic and he thankfully was always like quick to point out no that what that part wasn't me that was ibrahim's idea you know like for page layout stuff you know um it was pretty rare because he understood early on like like that i was somebody who really flourished if i was allowed to just do my thing and not be told oh this panel is an overhead shot this panel is a worm's eye view this you know um and i think i think we don't see as much of the action stuff maybe because like writers pride themselves more on dialogue and it's harder to see their contribution maybe if it's like an action sequence because there's not as much talking i don't know (laughs) and that's not to denigrate like writing or writers or you know i think it's just kind of a an observation that you know i've made like um so being that it's all me i don't have to worry about like oh are people gonna know that i wrote this really cool action sequence you know what i mean like because i can just do it and it's all under my name with brad and haas obviously but um so yeah i think i think that's another aspect that makes it more freeing is like the ability to just be like i did it you don't have to worry about who did what you know (laughs) so (laughs) So humanoids is is pretty good about like letting you rock out and and not like hovering over your shoulder and yeah I mean you know uh, Mark Wade um, is the publisher there mm-hmm. and he really championed Count like after reading the pitch at the time I think he was just like an editorial consultant like he wasn't he wasn't full on publisher um, and then they made him publisher and he offered me the the contract which is amazing and he's been he's just man I mean he was already on my you know Mount Rushmore of comics like yeah, he's, Come, he's a, he's a birthright <laughs> yeah and so. So, you know, to to have his trust is pretty amazing and like to have his input creatively, you know, because he'll read the script and, you know, give me pointers. I mean, he, you know, there was some stuff in count that he really helped me to see the value of like, oh, you need to, you know, emphasize this part more or give us another scene with this. And um, so that's wonderful. And then, you know, for these first two books, uh, I worked with an editor named Rob Levin, who's at Valiant now. Um, But, you know, Rob kept the trains running on time and just, you know, he was always there to pressure test any of the ideas that I had, especially with retroactive, because it's a time travel thing. So there's, it's really easy to like, you know, Write have your ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or you're the ship's leaking, you know, and we were making sure it was airtight and stuff. So, um, yeah, as far as that goes, like just to have the, the creative support that, you know, that those guys offer is pretty amazing. So, so yeah, like well, the reason we're here retroactive is, right. <laughs> is coming out in, in, uh, in April, 
right? April April twelfth, yep. I think. It actually, I just got word it got pushed back to the twenty sixth. Okay. Because um, of you know supply chain printing issues and stuff. Yeah. But that actually, I'm running a giveaway uh, contest right now for pre orders on that book. So really, that just gives two more weeks of people to get their entries in. So basically, nice. if you if you pre order the book and then uh, send an email of your proof of purchase, you know, whether it's a screenshot from Amazon or you know comic shop, whatever, uh, to retroactivecomic at gmail.com, uh, then you get entered to win. And I've got t-shirts, like signed book plates, uh, original art pages, oh, um, wow. yeah, other books signed, you know, some of my Marvel one-shots that have come out and stuff. So um, yeah, and you know, there may even be uh, an issue of Black Panther number three that I helped draw, which is a, a key issue first appearance that's like going for big money on eBay. Oh, wow. So, you know, I'm just saying if anyone hears this and wants to pre-order it, that's a, you know, it's a good time to do it. Well, I mean, everybody should pre-order comics anyway, right? Because it, it helps everybody. Right. It helps yeah. it helps us as buyers, and it helps you all as creatives. Uh, it's it's very. And I hate like people still don't get it. Like <laughs> you know, like it's, it, it. I guess with trades, it's it's not as well. Well, it, it's it's beneficial, but it's not like when people like are fighting in the comic book shops over singles, uh, you right. know, when they like don't pre-order something. But yeah, I, I like pre-order everything. Just just you know it helps everybody it helps you get what it does you want and it helps yeah creatives well it helps ensure that it gets made it gives publishers confidence in you as a creator that you know okay their stuff sells before it even like technically hits stands and uh, especially right now with supply chain issues and stuff, it helps mm-hmm. really make sure you actually get one because, you know, they lower the print runs on stuff when, you know, paper is more expensive and hard to get and that sort of thing. So, uh, but yeah, you know, I, I mean, I get it. Like we're not really a pre-order society, right? Especially nowadays with Amazon and, you know, Grubhub, yeah. all the stuff we were talking about, DoorDash, like you can get <laughs> things at your fingertips. So like, you know, I mean, imagine having to pre-order a pizza, right? I mean, I guess technically you do because they make it yeah, in order, but like, <laughs> but like, you know, a month or two away, right? Like, uh, it's hard to know what you're going to be hungry for in 60 days. Right. But, (laughs) um, but yeah, you know, with, with books, like it, it really, it really is helpful. So I wanted to find a way to incentivize it to, you know, make sure that like, there's a little bit more for it for, for people. So, so I, I was, I kept thinking when I was reading retroactive, I kept thinking about, uh, tenant, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and how like retroactive felt like what tenant wanted to be oh wow thank like, you <laughs> tenant tenant was pretty and it was cool yeah but it it, it was easy to pick apart kind of and it and it it was a struggle occasionally to like follow but you didn't have that struggle with your time travel story which again isn't quite fair to everybody else because you're just writing and drawing this well <laughs> And and you you made this unclusterfuck of a time travel story. Thank you, and man. It made sense. I appreciate that because I haven't talked to very many people uh, who have read it yet. You know, because it's not out and it's you know it's still kind of we're in the like early stages of of sending out copies for review and stuff like that. Um, so to know that it made sense to you uh, is a, is huge because you know I know it makes sense to me because I wrote it. But <laughs> you know, so thank you. Yeah, I was worried, man, because I you know I wrote that before Tenant came out, and at the time we had like one trailer, and I was like, well, I hope this isn't. Like, like 
too similar because we <laughs> you were like you know oh, no. <laughs> yeah like nolan keeps that stuff really close to the vest so it was like i had no idea if it was going to be like treading the same territory or not um and then likewise you know a year after i finished or finished writing it loki comes out and i'm watching oh, that yeah. and i'm like shit you know <laughs> luckily it was totally different but you know there were a few similar things like a time travel agency and that sort of thing so mm-hmm. um but yeah man that was a that was that was a difficult one to write just because of all the you know making sure like everything lined up and you know made sense and all that do you did you have like a serial killer tracking whiteboard <laughs> somewhere in your house that had like threads and like post-it notes everywhere like a little bit i mean i don't know i can't remember if it's in the pdf i sent you but uh i did do a couple of like diagrams they did and... have the map yeah you're yeah you're, yeah like, the story beats yeah right well, i thought so, that was cool yeah and that i did more so for rob the editor so that he could you know decode what i was doing you know just so he could see that it all made sense um but that was also helpful for me too to make sure like you know have because i'm a very visual person obviously so having that was like okay make sure i can i don't have any holes i need to plug in but yeah i it was uh there's a lot of moving parts and then you know of course things change as you're writing a story and so you know sometimes you got to change one thing and and it it really is kind of like this meta version of the story right because like oh Mm -hmm. shit if i change something here what does that do to the past you know like (laughs) the earlier part of the story do i have to go back and fix that so yeah yeah i would not want to be an editor on a time traveling story but i'm glad (laughs) i mean like i said it it, this retroactive is not hard to follow um and and it also uh you do some cool stuff with reflections which again i don't want to spoil but uh like that was very cool like the first time you see it you're like what and then later you're like whoa and so like those (laughs) those dots were like not hard to connect but still Mm. very intelligently placed if that makes sense Um, so it was just like yeah so for a time travel story it it just was awesome and visually it was awesome and again like you showcase these like high action pieces and um i you you have a really like uh i i feel like you're in the zone for sci-fi right now like especially reading these back to back reading reading uh count and retroactive back to back they're wildly different the characters are different but uh you just have this like you have cool takes on technology that really shows up great on the page and helps thank you man story thank you with uh, and i should i should probably say what retroactive is about briefly so people you know oh the, yeah <laughs> the uh, the elevator pitch you know the very quick thing is like it's james bond meets groundhog day right um <laughs> That's essentially so it, it, That's it's so about good. like a, <laughs> well that you know i love james bond i mean i you know i've that was the first thing uh for somebody yeah, you, else i got to write yeah yeah you, i was about to say you wrote james bond as well yeah and um i mean i'm a huge huge james bond nerd and then i love you know time travel stuff and and like i love time loop stories and i wanted to merge the two somehow because i think like it hasn't been done really uh that i've seen at least and it's like a compelling you know device i think if, if mm-hmm. done right so um yeah essentially it's about a it's about a a, a guy named Tarek who works for uh, the bta which is the bureau of temporal affairs which is like the cia of time travel and so we open in this sort of like cold war type of world where uh you know it's it's like 30 years in the future and time travel exists and the only people that have access to it are like the five world super powers of like the US, the UK, Japan, China, and and Russia. And so it's pretty much like, you know, Russia goes back to try to screw with our timeline and and these agents go back and stop their agents from doing that. And it's just this kind of cat and mouse thing through through time try to maintain continuity um but then in other instances they'll go back and avert a disaster or a terrorist attack and stop it from happening right 
So um, there start to be these anomalies detected in the timeline, and nobody knows where they're from because they don't emit a unique signature like the the other world agencies have. So like if Japan goes back in time, U.S. can tell because they have a certain signature. So these anomalies don't have one, and so they're trying to go and figure out what's going on. And you know, hilarity ensues, and the main character ends up getting basically put into a time loop that he has to figure his way out of uh, and stop you know the bad guys and save the day. So that's that's the easy way without giving too much away but um i and you know i structured it very much like a like a bond movie you've got your big opening sequence you know then you've got a title card and then you know um you've got your villain and that kind of thing so um and i i really this one i i wanted to like kind of try to stretch my legs a little bit and see what i was capable of in terms of like formatting so i did a thing where you kind of have two parallel timelines going in this book that sort of converge at one it's kind of another layer to the time travel thing right it's like using the medium of comics to also have two different timelines you know um i also did a thing that is very subtle and i don't know how many people will pick up on it but there's like a circular motif throughout the whole book so like if you go back and look through it there's circles everywhere like light fixtures benches like you know like signs everything like i put as many circles in as i could just to kind of like sort of drive home that like visual narrative of like time being a circle and like the loop nature of the the story and stuff okay Uh, well i know i know there's like the the watch sim like you know mm-hmm. the, the image of the watch on on like the reboots right like yeah and, and and i love when i love when that happens really quick uh where it's like and that was very i can like that's very like groundhog day right where right just, right oh no boom reset boom yep, reset. yeah yeah <laughs> exactly that worked really well <laughs> and i you. also loved how you ended it with the infinity sign instead of like you know, the end, it had the infinity sign. Yeah. Thank uh, you. That, I, that I think right. that might've been Rob's idea. I think, I oh, think really? I had end and Rob was like, what if, and I was like, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was so cool. Like I just, uh, first of all, like, and also you got that like beautiful short essay by Phil Hester at the yes. beginning, which yes. Like, oh my God. I, mean, I buried when, the lead. When you have I? like a bad day, you can just read that. Right. Cause that, he, yeah. he like lifts you up as, as deserved though. Like, Thank I mean, you. everything he said uh was awesome but what we haven't talked about yet and and is very uh it very much is a part of of both of these books we've talked about count and retroactive is the representation of mm-hmm. you know of, of your of your character and and race right and, yeah. and like and culture which you have which you instilled in both of these and and you you had mentioned that um, there's a uh, there was a quote at the beginning of Retroactive where you mentioned like you know having someone that looks like you in in a book you know is right. is, is totally different. Uh, so and so like how you're you're I mean you're a popular person like people know your name people buy your comics you're doing you're doing well and like um i mean are you think do you think that's gonna have like a or you think you're gonna get like some momentum with that like i I sure hope so because i i I, you know we don't we don't i'm fine with like multicultural like leads and and Mm -hmm. you know you i i think we need more of it and unfortunately we don't get it but you did that like so well and and they really it really brings it out in in retroactive with like the, you know the family dynamic and and that we get little bits and pieces of uh with the you know, the, the mom and the sister and 
so like what um i mean i feel like that was like a, that's like got to be like a big deal for you right yeah yeah thank you man i yeah with count uh specifically i wanted to you know just like make it reflective of the world around us right like uh that's obviously been a, a problem with with fiction you know or just just entertainment media in general for a long time is like a lack of representation right um not even that like you know because the detractors of that sort of thing will say like oh we'll go make your own stuff you know it's like okay well here it is bitch i did you know like <laughs> uh and uh, yeah, like I just, you know, I, I think that when you step outside, you know, most of us, especially if we're fortunate enough to, to live in a more diverse sort of setting and that kind of thing, like that's what you see outside. And I wanted to, I want, I want people to be able to see themselves in these books because I think that's how you connect to, to the stuff that you read, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, going back to like Peter Parker's sort of the everyman, right? Like he's down on his luck and he's having money trouble and girl trouble and this and that and so yeah, it's just kind of an extension of that sort of thing. And, um, you know, uh, like we don't have like a, a James Bond who's like not a, a white dude, you know, like, and there's nothing wrong with that. I love James Bond, as I mentioned, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, but you know, you see like the absolute fervor that people get when like Idris Elba was suggested and like, what, you know, yeah. and it's, and of course, I mean, there are probably just as many people who are all for it cause we all love him, but like, yeah. <laughs> You know, like person or like when in the newest one, No Time to Die, there was the new 007 because he retired. Right. So it's like a black woman is the new agent designated 007. And like, you know, there was talk of like, ooh, what if there was a, she was the next 007 in the next movie? Yeah. And I was just like, let's do it. Like I, I got 25 Bond movies of the same <laughs> dude. You know what I mean? Like, that's fine. So, um, yeah. And then, uh, with retroactive specifically, like I had watched, I don't know if you've heard of the show Rami it's on Hulu. Um, uh -uh. it's this comedian, you know, it's one of those shows where like a comedian gets a show about his life, but it's sort of not really his life, but it kind of is, you know, okay. but it's like heightened drama and stuff. It's very funny. Um, uh, but like, dude, you know, he's Egyptian and man, like I've, I was watching it and I was just like, I've never, I've never had this experience where like there's someone with a name like mine or a, a dad like mine or, you know, weird family stuff that I was raised with, like that, that like I've carried around my entire life that was just kind of like displayed on this show and sort of, uh, made light of and made me feel better about like the shit that I've been carrying around my whole life. You know what I mean? So yeah. I was just like, I want to do that for people too. Like it's, you know, I I'm starting with, I mean, count is much like, because it's not our world, um, there's, there's no specific nationality, you know, so like Red Zan, he's dark complected, he could be any, any, you know, from anywhere pretty much, right? So it's kind of like a insert yourself into this sort of thing as you see fit. Mm. Um, with with uh, retroactive, I made him very specifically Egyptian. We don't say Egyptian, but like his name is very Egyptian, mm. if you, you know, if you're familiar with that sort of thing. And um, and you know, just because I was like, I can't sit around and wait for other people to do it. And, you know, while making him specifically Egyptian is not representative of everybody, it's like one more step toward like being representative of at least like North Africa, the Middle East, you know, even people in South Asian countries with Arabic names and stuff. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something, you know, that I, that I is very important to me. And, um, especially in stuff that, you know, Hey, if these things get turned into movies or whatever, like then to an even wider audience we have you know potentially a, a middle eastern protagonist that isn't the bad guy you yeah. know because that's the other thing like in this you have an egyptian guy who's you know he's egyptian american like he's raised here he's not you know um like from egypt in my head again we don't say it but like i i feel like we don't lacking even more in the representation category of you know people from 
like other ethnic backgrounds is also the experience of like the children of immigrants, right? Like I'm not, I'm Egyptian. I'm not from Egypt, like, but I was raised with Egyptian culture. So, mm. you know, like you don't see that represented a lot. And that was a big thing that show Rami did for me too. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to put some of that out there into the world and, uh, you know, hopefully it, it gets magnified into another medium and then gets even wider spread. We'll see. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, I just, I thought about like, uh, Kamala Khan, you know, Miss mm-hmm. uh, Marvel and, uh, Miles Morales and like these, like, uh, you know, big time characters that other writers have, have taken risks on to, to like, you know, really push that home. And, and like, yeah. you know, G Willow Wilson, like put so much culture. Like I learned so much about the, uh, that religion and culture from reading Miss Marvel. And it like, mm-hmm. I, it made it like more real and intense and emotional and made it better for me. And then like, to you know like see so many people like bitch about it and and freak out about it like like they do like the, yeah. the, the dark side <laughs> of comics internet um, right and you know and, and it just irritated me and um but i i it, i you know as, as a white person i, I forget that sometimes because i do like i i do have that privilege you know and i and i don't try and take advantage of it but it's just some it's something that i try and be more cognizant about you know yeah and and you know reading uh reading this and and thinking about these other characters and and how like and how representation matters right and and just like in the crazy world we live in today and i just thought it was really well done and smart and and just also again like made it like another level of fresh that we don't have in comics which is a bummer because you know like we said like why don't we have more you know uh brown black you know superheroes like we there's we live in a diverse world and Mm -hmm you know, regardless of whether or not people want to embrace that or not, it's not going to change. Like these people aren't going to go away. They're, they're here. They're part of our world. And so, yeah, it's, I, I, I noticed that more and more in, in comics where it's like, you know, it it is, you know, there's this, a similar color palette, you know, in the justice league. And it's it's like, (laughs) like, why can't we shake things up a little bit? And so it was cool to, cool to see you do that. And, and, and cool to see like Phil Hester, like, get excited about that. And, and I, I hope other people who read retroactive get excited about that. And I, I hope create new creatives get excited about that and, and, and try to do that as well. Cause I, I think the world, the world and the medium needs it basically. And I, I commend you for, I, I'm, I'm glad you're in a position to like help make that, you know, like there you're not like spearheading it cause people are trying it, but I'm, I'm glad right. you're part of that you know, I'm glad you're able to do what you want to do basically with these. Thank you, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I, you know, before I forget, I I should mention like uh, specifically Phil Hester wrote the forward to retroactive and just completely like was an honor of a lifetime because he, he's one of my favorite artists and I've looked up to his, him and his work for years. And he's just, He's kind of like, you know, my friends and my artist buddies and I, we refer to him uh, as Uncle Phil. Like when we talk about him, (laughs) oh, you see what Uncle Phil posted? That drawing was so sick. You know what I mean? Like, because we all kind of look up to him as like an elder statesman of the, you know, but obviously like the dopest thing is that he's like still relevant and still putting out his best Mm -hmm. work. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I feel like he really embraces you know, comics, and we've kind of touched on this a little bit. And I actually, I, I said this recently online, like, I feel like comics as a medium really looks backward a lot, you know, mm-hmm. like, we're always, it's always like self referential. And, and that stuff's fun, you know, it has its place for sure. I think sometimes it can kind of hold us back a little bit. And sometimes it's frustrating to see like, people are trying to break new ground, but then the stuff that gets the most shine is like, look at this, it's just like that old thing. And it's like, well, <laughs> okay, you know, like, yes, it's an homage. And and I know I, I'm the guy who adapted, you know, the Count of Monte Cristo. I, I even said that when I, in my Twitter thing when I was talking about this, but like, 
you know, I tried to do different stuff with that. Like you said, the representation, the action, you know, the way I did. And so, yeah, it's my hope to be a part of, um, you know, a, a larger movement of like trying to move things forward a bit. You know, I mean, I, there's you can count on one, maybe two hands, the number of like, you know, Arab or Middle Eastern, North African comics people yeah. that, that are like in in, you know, quote, mainstream comics. I mean, they're, you know, all over the world, obviously, people are making comics and, you know, the book market is a separate thing with with, you know, other talent and stuff. But as far as like the direct market, you know, people who actually also do work at like Marvel and DC and, you know, the the larger, like more established comics publishers and, you know, stuff like humanoids and that, like it's a very small pool. And so I feel like it's kind of my responsibility in a way to be a part of that and try to make room for people like myself, because you know, Marvel and DC, like it's, it's a lovely thing that they do when they put out like a, a pride anthology or, mm. you know, like an Asian Pacific Islander pride, uh, anthology or, you know, like, like, uh, Latinx representation issues and things like that. And it's dope that there's enough people from those, uh, communities to make those anthologies with. If you put out like a, I mean, there's not enough Arabs or, or Muslims or whatever, you know, in comics and I'm not Muslim myself, but like I was raised with it and you know, the, that religion tends to go hand in hand with, with the, you know, Arab, uh, Middle Eastern population and whatnot. But, you know, if you were to even take both of those things and try to make a, a you know, anthology issue, you, I don't think there's enough people to deal with, you know? <laughs> so like, it's my hope that one day we get to that point, you know? Um, and until then, like, I just hope to sort of help normalize names like mine, you know? I mean, you don't see Mustafa or names similar to that on, on books that, you know, I'm not a part of generally. Like, I mean, Haas, he's he's half Algerian. Uh, and so, you know, it's I'm, like, proud as hell to have two, like, very Arabic names on our books, you know? And he's, yeah. he's very prolific in, in his work. So, I mean, he's lettering stuff across the gamut for every publisher pretty much um so he's he's out there doing that work too and i'm i'm really proud of the fact that we get to share a masthead together in that way you know um so yeah man i'm just trying to trying to you know i feel like other people have have opened the door uh before me so that i can walk through it so now i'm trying to like set up a, a, a table for more of us you know <laughs> once and once i'm inside kind of thing <laughs> buzz buzz babies we're taking a little break from that awesome interview you're listening to to talk about an awesome comic shop experience I've stumbled across. Let me tell you about GagesComicPages.com. This is a family-owned mom-and-pop type shop, but they're all online. The Gage family is putting themselves out there and putting in the work so that people who don't have a local comic book shop can still get comics every week. These are good people. They ship quickly and securely, and shipping's free if you spend over $10. Basically, if you buy three or more comics, shipping's free. And what's better than that? If you use the code BLAKESBUZZ, you get 10% off your first order. And if you want to pre-order something or make special requests, sending a message through their website is super easy. They can even make you a pull list. The Gages are great people with a great shop and a great outlook on nerd life, and I highly encourage you to check them out. Again, that's gagescomicpages.com. Your your characters are very strong and real, even even though they're in these like unreal environments, like in Count where, you know, there th these weird gravitational forces where islands float in the air and this crazy weaponry and every, the the like uh, electrical, you know, fairy wings that everybody flies around <laughs> yeah. on the battlefield. And, and then of course, like, you know, then you write this time travel narrative, which is all sorts of crazy. And then it, and then it turns into like, 
you know, like you first you have to have like this big building to time travel in this special room and these like, you know, preset zones. And then that changes towards the end of the narrative, which I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I want to, I want to like talk about everything. I know. So, you know, you, you, you have these like unreal settings, right. But you have these characters that are very um, just, they just seem like, so real and their emotions seem real and their struggles seem real. And so like when, when you're able to do that, right. When you're, when you're able to like kind of put a little bit of yourself and your mirrored image and your culture, like it does that, is that, I mean, are you writing, is that why they feel so like wonderful and, and kind of, I mean, do you think it kind of like goes into like your character creation and, and store and how they play in the narrative and you just feel more comfortable with them. Like you as yourself and a writer. I think so. Yeah. And thank you, man. I think, um, I mean like, like with count, for example, like, uh, you know, he has, he has the, the friend he makes in the prison who's like his mentor. Right. Like, um, and obviously that's something from the original novel, but I had a relationship like that in my life. Right. Like, hmm. like I had a, like I mentioned earlier, I don't know if we were recording or not, but I, I used to break dance like quite a bit. I mean, I still, do a little bit but um and the guy who taught me was like an older dude from new york who i met at like the boys and girls club he was like he was like a volunteer there when i was 15 and he just like he started showing us some dance moves and i just was like i gotta learn that (laughs) and so he really he was like mr miyagi to me like like full-on real life you know like i mean to this day you know we're talking over 20 years later and like we're still like family you know oh that's cool yeah um so that was you know that relationship i think was reflected in in the relationship between red zan and a seer in the prison um you know and then like uh in in retroactive Tarek is dealing with his mom who has dementia um fortunately my mom does not but my my great-grandmother did and so that was something i was present for you know is like going to visit her in her nursing home and and that sort of thing and so you know yeah like i i, I want these characters to feel relatable and fleshed out and real and you know kind of to the point we were talking about earlier where it's like uh even though they may not represent everyone like there's things that are still relatable there oh yeah i also wanted to talk about uh so like i'm a big nerd on like tension building uh Mm -hmm. and and i love i mean like that's that makes us turn the pages right Um, right you know and you know i've I've always like in my creative writing background and then i've had you know like listen to like writers lecture about it and stuff and and they talk about you know like you know the, the good game to play is like you know put put people in like these weird circumstances right but like the do that that normative thing where you know when we leave the house and it's like oh did i leave the stove on like, oh did i leave right. my car box? <laughs> like oh is, did i is my wallet in my pocket like these little things right that like add to the intensity of these situations and you <laughs> took that to this whole other level in retroactive by having this like mother figure who <laughs> is, is suffering from dementia and then there's you know like i've my my dad's getting older and he's almost 70 and like he's fallen down a couple times and mm-hmm. and you know it's he's not like he can still do stuff he's he's cool but when he falls down it's different than if like you or i fall down right or if a 20 year old falls down right it's just like right. your body handles it differently and so like you know he's he's like this futuristic time hopping james bond and then he's also like getting these texts from his sister who's like mom fell did you check on her and right he's like, <laughs> he's like in the midst of these like crazy situations and it just adds so much to like the 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 like heat of these scenes and these moments um 
uh, did like what made you was that like structurally planned like how like did you know that it was gonna like add so much intensity to those scenes when you did um not i mean no like uh i mean it was it was intentional but i i um like your feedback on it is wonderful so thank you because i you know (laughs) i mean i was hoping it would have some kind of impact like that um i just you know i think it's important like when you're telling these stories about like time travel and you know like these really big notions like that you still got to have the character tethered to stuff that like makes you go oh right but they still have like they still have to walk their dog or whatever you know what i mean like (laughs) so yeah like and also you know some of that i guess comes from uh my personal personal experience with like, you know, pre-pandemic working from home and like feeling like nobody really knows what I do all day, you know? And like in the, in the book, like Tarek's job is a secret. So his, you know, his sister thinks that he works in like time management and risk assessment is like the, you know, and so like she, she doesn't know what he does all day. She doesn't know that he's like going back to like, you know, Nazi occupied France and trying to like, you know, stop someone from killing Hitler because even though he'd rather Hitler dies, like it would change the whole, you know, yeah. So, um, you know, it's not to say I'm doing anything nearly on that level. <laughs> I'm sitting here <laughs> writing and drawing comics, but like, you know, there's there's this sort of like misunderstanding that people in your personal life can have where they think like, oh, well, you're home all day. You can do that, right? Yeah. And you're just like, yeah. you have no idea like what I'm occupying my time with, you know. So it was kind of based around that sort of thing, like having to sort of satisfy all these people and, you know, their their different like demands on you. And also like I'm, you know, Middle Eastern culture is very much like uh, patriarchal, unfortunately. Right. Mm-hmm. And like I'm one of four kids and I'm the only boy. I have three sisters, but there's still this kind of like uh, dynamic in my family where people look to me for certain things because I'm the boy, you know. Okay. And so I kind of wanted to put some of that in the book, too. Um, and then, of course, his sister being long distance, you know, and I mentioned in the book that she she like has a good job in london and so that's why she's far away but she's still trying to control everything from where she is you know um and so uh yeah i think it just you know it heightens the the sympathy that we have for the character when it's like he's trying to do all this stuff and take care of his mom he doesn't feel like he's very good at either of them at the moment you know um so yeah thank you for for picking up on that yeah man i just i thought it was like it it added like some stress to some parts but it also it was very un, un like i didn't expect it by any means at all like and and to have him like you know he keeps going back uh to that you know to to her home to mm-hmm. to, to the uh, nursing home and having to deal with that and then in the end there's it ties big time into the story which i thought was great um you know like you know you know you, know, you wrote yeah it. <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah uh, but uh that you know that whole deal and and how it um you're talking about like the you know the circle imagery imagery but also like the the circular path that the story takes you know and how things how things come back around uh it was just very like in my opinion, very smart writing and, and just made it, uh, it made it more than an action piece. Right. And, and, and I love, like I've mentioned, you, you do action so well, you do sci-fi so well, but, um, I like that mention of like the, the tether, especially in, in a time travel story where, 
where you need that occasionally to, to both, I guess, ground your fictional characters and ground your audience. Cause we need, yeah, that yeah. While we're, you know, taking the story in. So like as a reader, I appreciate, I, I think that's why one of the main reasons why it works so well is thank you, man, because it, it, it keeps you centered. And that was just really, cause most time travel stories don't, they get hard to follow. I get confused. Right. I have to take notes. I have to call my old science teacher and say, <laughs> right. what happened here? And, and then he's like, how do you still have my number? Why are you calling me? <laughs> Uh, but, but yeah, like you I don't said, go here. <laughs> retroactive had, had no moments like that whatsoever. Thank you, man. It all, just, Thank it you. all made a lot of sense. Well, and you know, with some the advice, oh, I'm oh sorry. sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say with the tether thing too, like, uh, you know, his mom has dementia. That's something that can be, uh, you know, inherited as far as I think conventional wisdom is concerned. Mm. Right. Like, um, and so, you know, he's in this time loop for however long it is relative to his time in there. Is he losing his, is losing it? Is he losing his memory? Like, is it going to, is it the dementia? Like, you know, is it hereditary? He doesn't know. And so I think it also kind of helps elevate the tension when like the thing that is kind of his tether, which is going to see his mother like he almost can't even trust that because she doesn't even remember him most of the time mm. you know so it's like it, it gives him this this sort of you know home base to touch but also like helps to serve the idea of like what is going on you know yeah and hopefully in a way that's not too uh confusing which sounds like it thankfully wasn't so <laughs> no, definitely no you did that there was nothing i mean yeah i, I don't want to like it, I don't I want to say like nothing was confusing because it's it's time travel and, and right. there, are, I, there are some moments where you want us to be a little confused. You know? it, absolutely. And that, yeah. So like but you it was very controlled. And as like a writer who's tried to write a, a time travel short story, like I was super fucking impressed. And no, I wanted you, to man. know like what's like if someone asked you like, hey, what's what's your advice for someone because time travel narratives are a thing. They're never going to go away. We're, right. we're as humans, we are kind of obsessed with that notion of like, what if we were able to do this differently? What right. if I could get a second chance at this? What if we could change something, right? Go back in time and change something. What is your advice to an aspiring creative with a time travel idea? Is it don't ever do it? Cause it's too hard or like, like what's, I guess like, I don't want to like steal your idea or, or, you know, like take your thunder, but what's, how do you successfully pull off yeah. a time travel story? I, for me and you know, everyone's different obviously, but for my personal aesthetic and, and, you know, taste and whatever, I wanted it to make as much sense as possible. So I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like ask a lot of questions I couldn't answer kind of thing. I didn't want it to mm -hmm. go, wait, so if they did this, then how, but you know, to a, you can only do that so much in a time travel story. Cause it's like a theoretical thing and you know, there's infinite possibility timelines, all that stuff. But I wanted it to be as like closed loop as possible, I guess, in the sense of like, I didn't want it. I didn't want people to have a bunch of questions on like, well, no, hang on, because if they did that, then so I tried to make it as airtight as possible, right? Like, yeah, like I tried if I asked any questions, I tried to answer every single one of them. And that was something that Rob helped a lot with, too, was just like kind of holding me to to those like logic, you know, narrative things. Um, so, have yeah, good, I mean, have a good editor. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, well, I definitely have someone to bounce it off of, right? Like, you yeah. know, hey, does this make sense? And if somebody goes, yes, but or like, well, how did this happen? You know. 
Um, I also tried to keep it pretty like uh, low tech in the sense of like it wasn't just, you know, like I, I kind of lay out the groundwork for the time travel in, in some of the earlier scenes in the book, uh, you know, when you meet the, the new recruit. So it's like you kind of get a primer on how a well, primer huh? like the time travel movie, <laughs> <laughs> on how it works, which which that still I love that movie, but that movie makes no like it's right. too much like it's yeah. way too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I, I, you know, like there are rules to this time travel basically. Right. So mm-hmm. like you can't just hop around indiscriminately. Like you can go to one point in the past and then back to the present. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like, it's not just like a, a watch, like you got to go in this like round chamber and then come out another chamber, you know, like, so, so that, that limits the, the sort of like deus ex machina part of it. Right. Like it can't just be like a, you know, oh, well, we'll just jump here and jump there. Like it's controlled. <laughs> You know, so that was that was important for me early on was to establish those ground rules so that it was constrained to the point that it, it didn't get out of hand. How how much did you sweat over that? Like in your in your pre-writing, storyboarding, note taking, like I feel like that was pretty strenuous, probably. Yeah, that was that was probably the bulk of the work in terms of like the, you know, the sort of like pre-writing part of it, you know, like I because. I don't know if it's like this for every publisher, but with humanoids, I generally will send them like once once the pitch is approved and they say, OK, go to the next stage. I'll write out like a like a beat sheet. So basically like I'll, well, I don't even know if I call it a beat sheet because that kind of kind of denotes like breaking it up a bit. I basically just it's like if I were to watch a movie and then I sit down and tell you the whole movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you ever listen to Kevin Smith talk about a Batman movie, but it's yeah. like that. You know, <laughs> um, So I'll do that. And then that is the opportunity to kind of figure out you know the structure of it and like the or at least like the where the holes are potentially and then i try to plug all those um and then i send that to them for approval and then once they go okay thumbs up then i'll then i'll break that up into a script and you know reformat it and stuff okay and then another thing that was really cool i thought when that like really blew my mind uh uh, was the the number sequence and like the the sanity test that Mm -hmm. you came up with like how the hell like where did how did you come up with that that was like really really smart did, did, Thanks, I, man. I mean, did you was that like like a, a movie or book or like or i'm not i mean it was your I, idea but like, yeah where did well it come from i'm trying to remember specifically how it came to be i know rob had like it was born out of a note from rob i think rob might have said like i think we need some kind of a touchstone or something and then i was like okay so you know i maybe we talked about like the spinning top thing in inception or something and then and then it was kind of like from there i was like okay well if he's trying to you know keep things straight like then there would have to be some kind of a sequencing test that he can sort of pass for himself right like to make sure his memory is intact and like, you know, he's, he's on the right path and all that. So then I, I think, I think the next like logical step was like, what if it were numbers, you know, like, like almost like a combination to a lock for your mind that you'd have to memorize, you know? Um, and then that also, you know, putting it on a card like that also helps because it, it gives the, you know, the reader something to like physically look at this visual of it. It's like, you know, you can use it as a storytelling element, like when, if they get jumbled or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, Which I had to check because as I'm reading that, I was like, man, I'd be fucked. Cause I <laughs> remember the numbers I had to keep. I like had to flip back to like the previous parts to be like, to, I, cause I kept checking the numbers to see like if they yeah. were the same. And I was like, man, if, if, if I was him, I would be like, Oh, well we lost it. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah. can't remember these things. Yeah. I mean, I figured like he would, you know, it's, it's real important to him in the context of the story. So he would memorize it pretty easily. And then I had him check it against the card so that it's like, the reader has like doesn't necessarily have to remember it you know yeah um but there was a time in the script where i actually had it wrong on one of the things and rob was like <laughs> wait did you mean to do like is that part of the story or did you just like transpose these numbers i was like shit that was that was a mistake on my part oh wow so, yes, yeah. as we talked about earlier like editing a time travel narrative like the little things that yeah if you change if you change this part here what you have to change later and like oh i've <laughs> i messed up the number sequence like what right. does that mean this story? <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's funny. Uh, but yeah, man, like all these, all these little pieces, uh, came together in such a cool way. Like I, I'm so excited for your third book. <laughs> like if this, Thanks, man. If, if this is the like level of heat you're dropping at humanoids, and <laughs> I've loved, I've loved your previous work and I, I love your art, but, um, I, I, they're, I guess like the freedom of humanoids and I mean, probably getting a three book deal probably feels pretty damn good. I, I would imagine, you know, yeah, you, it's pretty awesome. And they're like, yeah. Hey, let's do some more work for us. Uh, yeah. It's, especially, uh, you know, when the pandemic was first hitting and everybody was like, are we going to have jobs you yeah. know, to have a contract was pretty awesome. And to have yeah. them go, yeah, we're honoring the contract, like even better, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, cause I, re I remember the, the pencil down stuff and like all the, yeah. the weirdness that started happening and, yeah, it, get, it got crazy. And then like those few months when like comics didn't come out and everybody was like, what's happening? And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was so crazy. Um, what, uh, um, like, would, would you, uh, you, as in regards to like comic making, mm -hmm. uh, as, as a writer and artist and an, an original graphic novel is a lot. Um, but, but you are, you seem to excel in, in that field where you get, the amount of pages you want and you don't have to worry about, you know, the, they're not being released monthly. They're, they're being put out as, as one book. Do you, do you like that better than like the, uh, the, the deadline, uh, like the deadline crunch of like doing, you know, single issues or like, is it, is it easier on you or harder? It's, you know, it's a little bit of both because, um, you know, like on the one hand, like count, for example, I would have loved to have made that a little bit longer. Like there's stuff that I wanted to flesh out a little more, you know, places I'd like to sit in for another page or two that like, I just didn't have the room. Like, mm. um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's more of a thing of like what the market dictates though, as opposed to like, I mean, I think they would have loved to have given me as much room as I wanted as well, but you know, when you're selling the equivalent of six issues at 1999, like that's a sweet spot for, you yeah. know, like paperback trade paperback sales and stuff. Um, so, so, uh, I will say though, like, you know, one of the benefits to doing the OGN format is that I don't have to worry about chapter breaks, you know, every 20 pages. Like if something needs to breathe, you know, be 25 pages in the next chapter is 15 or whatever, I can do that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't have to do a catch you up page or two to be like, you know, you know, when you read issue two of a comic and it, you know, usually the cliffhanger in issue one is like, they're about to fight somebody. And then yeah. page one of issue two is like, they are fighting and they're going, this is my old enemy. So-and-so we've been at this for, you know. <laughs> 
like I, and then when you read that in a collection like it kind of sticks out a little bit yeah. so i don't have to worry about doing that because it's all one thing i also really love the format of like like i want these books i love i love watching sitting down and watching just a great movie and then being like cool i just watched an awesome movie and i want my books to feel like that yeah that's not to say i'm making them to be movies because i know people are like oh, make comics these are comics but <laughs> i want to evoke that feeling right of like that sort of satiating like ah that was great you know like it took me you know an hour and a half two hours or whatever like potentially you know and like i just consumed it and i feel good about it you know i love that experience and that's what i'm shooting for um and so that's where that that format really shines on the flip side you know you're off the shelves for like anywhere from probably eight months to a year depending on how fast you crank them out right yeah um so that aspect of it can be difficult because you want people to remember to check for your work and you know it's like where is such an instant gratification society like a lot of times if something's not right in front of us like we forget about it you know mm-hmm. so you want it for career longevity you definitely want your stuff to be on shelves more so that's a benefit of single issues also um you know it's it's fun to see people react to something month in month out in a way that you don't get from an ogn um and i think you get a little bit more interaction with the comic shops when you're doing a yeah. uh you know single issue things um so you know that's something i really enjoy as well because like there's just so many awesome people who run shops that you can like talk to online and you know send stuff to their shop or you know they do signings and things like that so um that's not say you can't do that with graphic novels but it's you know it's just spaced out yeah yeah and and i think the 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 industry is the direct market is definitely built toward single issue stuff you know so um so yeah it's kind of six of one half a dozen of the other um i think i think for a a sort of holistic end game approach i like graphic novels because eventually single issues will get collected into a trade paperback anyway mm-hmm. so this is just like a, a a more direct like trip to that destination i think yeah as as like a reviewer and and a you know press like i like the og in format um it gets hard when when you get like all these single issue review copies mm-hmm. and you read so many I, i'm blessed and, and i'm so lucky to like be on these press lists and have people wanting to like give me stuff to read yeah. But it gets a little confusing sometimes. For sure. Because yeah. you get like all this stuff and then you and then you get like issue two and you're like, man, I've read so like like and then like I'm like thinking something else happened. I'm like, oh no, wait, that was this other book. And then like I'm right. like, oh, shit, I gotta <laughs> go back and read number one. But like from a reviewer standpoint, you know, it's a lot it's not like super hard to write 500 pages or, you know, the three to 500 pages is like you, the usual single issue review hot sweet spot, you know? Cause like, you don't, no one wants to read like five pages about X-Men 21. Like that's a lot, right. for, you know, a single issue, but like a, a, a OGN, like, you know, you could write a thousand words on it and, and get a little deeper into it and talk about more stuff. And you're allowed to say more without spoiling so much of what happens right. and, as opposed to like 130 pages to 22 pages. Uh, so I, I dig them and, and, you know, image has been, uh, you know, they've been like hot to trot with this OGN deal, you know, like they did like November, like the reckless and, books and stuff and like reckless. Is yeah. So good. And they're, yeah. Like, I mean, they're cranking those out too. Like they're, I don't, I don't know how much they had done like before, but like between like pulp and then the three reckless books, like I feel yeah. like they come out pretty quickly. They do. Uh, That's the dream, man. To, to just be able to put out your own stuff like that and, yeah. you know, have a, have a built in audience for it for, you know, after so many years of putting out amazing stuff and like, 
you know, do your own thing. It's it's pretty pretty phenomenal. I feel like you're there though. Like I I feel like thanks, man. I'm trying. <laughs> like I'm like I didn't know you had the three book deal. So like I'm already like insanely stoked for this third book. And I feel like once people read retroactive uh, and see what you pulled off there, like I feel like a lot of your fans are gonna be like stay here like stay thanks man thank you yeah i you know i'm uh i'm i'm hopeful that uh it opens the door for more of this kind of stuff you know um i'd like to do you know i have a a a book i want to do that's like similar to to what mike walsh does with the silver coin where it's like one you know singular thematic element through different stories in each issue um and that's something that would you know obviously work best in single issue format so i'm hoping to you know maybe i'll do that uh once i finish this third book um so yeah you know it's just it's tough because like i think the goal for a lot of people is to do our own independent stuff and and have people read it um i love i love superhero and licensed stuff too obviously james bond you know superman is my whole like thing about you know thing got me into comics in the first place as a kid like i love superman so you know i've got those kind of stories i want to do as well um you generally have to do those to get a bigger audience for your independent stuff and so um you know i think you kind of have to do a healthy balance of flopping back and forth until you build up enough readership to where you know they'll just follow you to whatever you do so that's kind of i guess what's next in my overall game plan is like just trying to build up an audience who may not be aware of my stuff because you know frankly like you know i'm a drop in the bucket of a a rather large bucket right so like (laughs) um and you know getting anyone to like hone in on anything specific especially in the days of like social media and you know tiktok and everything's 10 seconds and you're flipping to the next thing and like yeah so um you know when you get to work on these more enduring characters it's a little easier to kind of like you know get some traction there so but yeah, man, I'm 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 gonna keep doing this kind of stuff as long as people will uh, pay me to do it, and uh, you know, until I can hopefully like do it self-sustainingly, and then I'll just keep cranking them out, you know. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you thought about um, like I mean, so I, I don't know. I still don't know what I think about it because I can't afford to subscribe to all of them. But like, have you thought about like Substack stuff or like? Or, or, are you kind of not interested in that? I'm not, I'm kind of, I honestly don't really understand. I haven't, I haven't like dived into it enough. Like Sophie Campbell's a really good friend of mine and she has a sub stack that I follow and I'm active on hers cause she's brilliant and I love mm-hmm. her stuff. Um, uh, and she does a lot of like updates of like, you know, pages in progress and that kind of thing. As I understand it though, people are also like releasing comics through that. Right. So it's like yeah. a, it's like, is it like a newsletter comic essentially? Like every yeah. week or every month you get an issue or it, it's not, it's like, uh, they give you like a handful of pages at a time is what most okay. people seem to So it, it like, they want like regular updates. Right. So you get like a lot of behind the scenes action. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, but then you also get like, you know, five new pages of a new book mm-hmm. and some people I've talked to that are subscribed to people. They're like, I don't really like, like wait for the whole issue. They're like, it's weird. Like these little five page bursts, like every sure. few weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then a lot of people seem to think that they're going to be printing these too. Um, I think, I think, yeah, I think they're all going to have some kind of life, you know, and that's the tough part, right? Because like, if it's not exclusive to that format forever, then a lot of people mm. will be like, oh, I'll just, I'll just wait till it comes out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I had that, you know, when Chris and I did high crimes, it, it was, you know, digital issues and we started monthly, but then it was just like, 
we weren't getting paid to do it. It was all under our own steam. So it was like, we were just doing our best to keep up and, you know, work our day jobs. And I mean, Chris was pretty much freelancing full time at that point, but I was like still working and going to school and stuff. So, um, but you know, we'd go to conventions and, you know, we'd have like a tablet out so people could flip through it. And we'd have like, um, you know, print copies that we'd make of what we had so far. And a lot of people would be like, Oh yeah, I'll just wait till you know, I like having a book in my hands. And it's like, <laughs> I get it. You know, I, I do too. Like, but I also, you know, like I enjoy digital comics as well. So yeah, it's, um, I think, I think comics, that's the thing, man. We're always trying to figure out what, what format works best, what, you know, people are doing the smartphone oriented stuff, which is what my, my Nazi hunter book was initially, but I drew it in a way that it could be printed because I knew okay. long game. That's what I was going to do with it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I would certainly entertain the idea, but I, I feel like if I can keep getting, you know, cause generally the way it works is like humanoids pays me in advance essentially, right? Like as a page rate to do these books and then they recoup their part on sales and then I get, you know, royalties after that fact once they've gotten back what they've paid me. And that's how it works at Image too. Like if Image, you know, a lot of times they don't pay in advance, but for certain creators they do. Um, like like Brubaker and Phillips are probably getting a page rate to do their thing. And then, because mm-hmm. those are guaranteed sellers. So like Image is definitely going to make that money back. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that for sure if that's how they're doing it. That's just my speculation. But um, so yeah, you know, generally it's like, you know, I got a mortgage, I got two dogs, you know, so <laughs> like <laughs> until I can afford to like, you know, do a thing where I'm not getting, uh, like a, like a, you know, advance from somebody, uh, that'll probably be the way that it ends up going. And that's usually like through a traditional publishing format. So you mentioned earlier about, um, going to Michael's and I forgot to ask you, like, are you, are you, are you like a, a pen and paper or pencil and paper or, or are you a digital drawer? No, I'm still on paper. I did digital for about a year. Um, and it's faster in a lot of ways. And, uh, um, yeah, I, you got into some, you, you started a debate on Twitter a couple months ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> About you, that, you that crosshatch some... brush yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. You pissed some people off. <laughs> oh yes, I did. Well, so, okay. So I'll explain that real quick so so there are two programs generally that people use predominantly for drawing comics there's others but these are the main two photoshop and one that's called clip studio paint which used to be manga studio but they changed the name so those are digital drawing programs and they're great i use photoshop right like i use photoshop and and clip studio uh for my layouts so what i'll do is i'll draw the whole book um usually in chunks but i'll do like an issue at a time or whatever um and i'll i'll do it digitally like with like a blue and like a a red so that um because when you when you scan those colors cyan and magenta specifically uh you can very easily select them and get rid of them in photoshop and then so what's left is like the ink so i'll do that as like the structure of the page and i'll send that to the editor for notes you know so i'll make this you know a little more clear or whatever and then from there i print that out on paper like very faintly so i can still see it but ultimately it won't be that visible at the end and then once i scan it i just like play with the levels in photoshop and it gets rid of the blue um so i'm i'm doing a hybrid of both but you know the finished page is on paper and i'm using ink and a brush and pens and all that stuff um i did fully digital for a year like i mentioned and it was great in a lot of aspects but it's not what i fell in love with about drawing right it's a different experience like like no matter what digital brush you're using whether it's like a a really like watered down looking watercolor brush or like a a, you know very strong pen thing it all feels the same because it's one nib against a glass screen Mm. right whereas pencil feels different on paper than a pen than the brush than you know um so for me like it wasn't it wasn't inherent to what i love about drawing 
Like it was taking some of the joy out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so ultimately I made the switch back. Um, there's nothing wrong with digital art. Uh, I think some of the, I mean, Jorge Jimenez is one of the best artists working today. Uh, he's absolutely phenomenal and he's digital, right? I think the thing that separates uh, good digital art from bad digital art is when artists become too reliant on the preset tools that the programs offer you. Okay. And that was the thing I posted about, right? So there's this one that look kind of looks like cross hatching, which is when you have, you know, lines going in one direction mm-hmm. and then you layer lines over with another direction. I do that all over my work. It's like on everything I do. I love that as a, as a volume building thing and as a texture and all that stuff um and uh what i was complaining about or saying i you know i said something like nothing makes me want to close a comic faster than seeing this bullshit it was like it was specifically like that isolated brush texture and a lot of people were like uh you don't know what cross hatching is (laughs) I i do that's not the point you know um but a lot of a lot of my friends agree. Honestly, it's like a very like kind of hacky thing to use mm-hmm. if you don't use it right. There are ways to to layer it and do it to where you are building volume and you're you know like um, Jorge Jimenez again the, to use his name. Like he uses that brush texture, but he does it in a way that's subtle and with other textures combined to give something like more life. What I'm talking about is a lot of people will take this preset thing and they'll just do it in a background and they're like, "That's a background, right?" And it's like, no, it just looks like shit because it's like any one could do that number one number two like it to in my personal opinion it looks bad it looks like low effort and it's not what the brush was designed for or they're not using it it doesn't look how they think it looks maybe you know or like mm-hmm. if they're trying to if they're trying to you know mimic like a true cross hatching thing like it's not getting the job done uh because it's limited to the scope of what the brush can do rather than what their hand can do right yeah i had one person tell me it was ableist and yeah. i was like come on bro like I, that's I not remember. I was just... <laughs> yeah. I was I was like all in that Twitter. I well, it was weird. It was interesting to me because I don't know a lot about art, right? And right. I know nothing about digital drawing, uh, other than like it looks cool sometimes, right? Yeah. But, I'm I'm just like reading the comments. I always I just get irritated um when when people are dicks to to comic book people on right. online. Um it just it really gets under my skin cuz like you guys don't have to talk to us. You know, I I understand that like this interview is is doing interviews like these helps with your in, when you guys are independent, you know. For sure, like, yeah. But Humanoids has press too, so it's you know, it's, you don't you don't have to like do podcasts if you really don't want to you don't have to talk to us online if if you don't want to you know you don't have to interact with us and i'm so we're as nerds like we're lucky to like have these like you know twitter moments and and i'm so lucky to like get to talk to you know you you wonderfully talented entertaining people and and put it out as a podcast and it just irritates me that like people don't appreciate that where it's like you know they you they could just say fuck you and leave like i mean <laughs> greg greg capullo did it like he got off twitter for a while he was like yeah. i can't deal with it i he was like i i don't like i have enough shit going on in my life i don't need to deal with you little you know whiny piss babies and i was like, <laughs> right. I was like man i love that but i miss seeing your posts and like yeah. he has a good you know he's like a cool dude he's he like plays guitar and he's like fucking ripped like the whole right like, <laughs> yeah, entertaining online presence and so i so i just kind of like was just reading it and i was just like man the audacity of people like coming at this guy who's a professional artist uh and has has done you know more comic books than some people have read you know like and it's just i appreciate that audacity and well and let me say too like you know 
on the same token, like you don't have to read my books, right? Like, yeah, that's like, true. So, so I appreciate it. I mean, to me, it's a one-to-one thing, right? Like, um, I mean, yes, we get to make these things, but if, if no one reads them, like, congratulations, I guess, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so, you know, I, I see it definitely as like a, like an equal two-way street kind of thing. And so I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate you taking the time to read my stuff and, you know, like talk about it and, and use your platform to do so, like, cause you don't have to do that, you know? So, and, and for my part, I, I definitely like, I was feeling, I remember specifically feeling kind of snappy that day. And I usually <laughs> try to keep it really positive on social media, you know, like, uh, or at least like cynical, but like toward, you know, um, the the larger evils rather than just like someone drawing on their computer not knowing that this brush sucks or whatever you know and i and the way i said it was like seeing this bullshit and i'm sure that (laughs) if i had worded it in a way that was more like you know to each their own and i you know everyone's perfectly capable of you know blah 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 whatever makes you happy but for me personally today in the year of our lord you know um but and i just didn't feel like doing all that at that point but like uh i can see why people definitely like took some issue with it but at the same time i did get a lot of bad faith replies that were like you know like calling me ableist because i think that a a pre-programmed brush that literally like is available with the 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 software sucks like that has nothing to do with the user or their ability to use it at all like that's just that's literally making a choice whether through knowledge or lack of knowledge and and i think i told the guy who said that i was like no it's not it's just like that brush sucks and now you know better so you know (laughs) like (laughs) Um, Yeah, because I found out through reading that, like, you guys, you can, like, make your own brushes and make your own, like, templates and design. Like you can do that, but pretty also much infinite like possibilities. put more effort into it and make it look better too. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, there are, there are the default brushes that come with the program and then there are brush packs that you can buy. I mean, you can get 150, 200 brushes for like $10, right. Okay. That like artists make that they go here, you know, you, you, you know, pay the 10 bucks, you download it and then you get free updates for like, you know, the longevity of however long they do, you know, for life essentially. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's really just about like exploring those options and, you know, look, if somebody is physically incapable of cross hatching, you know, but like if, if there's a dexterity issue there or a mobility issue, obviously I'm not going to condemn their use of like a pre-programmed, but <laughs> brush, right? Like, um, but the instances I'm speaking of, I have it on pretty good authority that like, that's not the scenario. It's just that people are using this default thing to poor effect. And that's yeah. what I was speaking to. So and to get stuff done like fast and easier yeah and i just i personally don't think that i should open that anyone should open a marvel or dc book and see that in it Mm -hmm. you know like i just think like you know again you know i mean this is also subjective in my personal opinion and people are going to disagree i'm sure that's fine no totally i hey look old internet traumatizing i put it out there man i put it out there like man this interview was great (laughs) then you just brought up this old bullshit like no and ultimately you know i to twitter is one of those things i don't take too seriously like because i know that it's just a lot of times just shouting into a void anyway you know like i have a i have a wonderful wife two two wonderful dogs like i'm getting to do my dream job i you know I don't, I, I tend not to walk away from that app going like, man, fuck this, you know, like, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, I think, um, I talk about this with, with, uh, a, a few friends sometimes, like, are you familiar with like in rap music, there are people who are considered quote, like spitters, right? Like people who just rap the shit, like rap their yeah. asses off, right? Like, 
or like basketball players who are considered like ballers. Like that guy's a baller, right? I feel like there aren't that many ballers or spitters in a lot of mainstream comics these days, right? It's a lot of like people who learn to draw from comics or just, you know, everyone has their own path. You know, I'm always like qualifying this. <laughs> like, like, teach their own, you know. But like, I, I feel like the more these programs come out and the, you know, there's just sort of like a, like a, like a leveling out of quality that I think like, and some of that has to do with, you know, the constraints that the publishers put on us, right? Like, Hey, yeah. we need these, uh, the script was late. Can you get this done extra fast? Or like, you know, Hey, we're, we need two artists on this issue because the other one ran behind or whatever. And so, you know, there's a lot of factors to it, but I just like, I, I wish that there were a, a higher level of importance put on the quality of the art because you frankly there are a lot of people who aren't ready yet that are yeah. you know getting published and i'm happy for them and that they're getting opportunities and i would never try to take that away from them and i hope that they build on those opportunities and and, and you know continue to increase their skill level and get better and i know i'm not the best artist in the world so i'm not trying to cast shade on anybody but i feel like if you talk to 10 artists nine of them will agree with you that like yeah there's been a dip in like mm -hmm. you know the spitters out there kind of thing like <laughs> yeah. and so uh and i think that's why certain books you know rise above the rest like um when when for example like when mateo scalera draws a book like it's phenomenal when jorge <laughs> jimenez draws a book it's phenomenal when when sarah pacelli draws a book it's incredible you know like because those people are like really out here and and you know two of the three i just mentioned are digital so it doesn't have anything to do with the medium it's really yeah. or you know what you're using to create it it's like it's just like the amount of you know uh, readiness and skill and time and all that so you know again not everyone's a Sarah Pacelli right so I can't you know expect <laughs> like nor nor should we you know there are certain you know there are books that are like there's there's a, a tier system to this right like yeah you know your your Scooby-Doo meets Subway comic isn't going to be drawn by Matteo Scalera right <laughs> so <laughs> But yeah, Jim, that's Jim just kind Lee's, of Jim Lee's not going to do the the Target exactly. exclusive uh, get one free when you buy an action figure. <laughs> exactly. But so, no, I I totally agree. I used to be on an X Men podcast, and so there was mm -hmm. a time when I was buying every X Men issue that came out a month, which was like anywhere from twelve to eighteen issues because right. they have all the series because we were covering them, and and so like I was buying everything, and it man it it, sh it shocked me like X X Force like Percy's like writing the shit out of X Force in these cool stories and. And some issues I was like, what? This is Marvel. This is X-Men. This is like, this is a top shelf Marvel book and it doesn't look like it. And it was like, it's a, it was a kind of a bummer. And it's, and we had to talk about that on the podcast on how to, um, talk about it without being dicks basically because i mean some people wanted to be like this book's fucking ugly and the editor was like well <laughs> yeah okay but like let's not say it like that and which you know like i was he was awesome and like he made tons of sense but yeah it's crazy like there's there's people making almost nothing on kickstarter that are making some beautiful books and and then these people have like marvel gigs and it's just like they're they they're there's no passion in the art is kind of what i thought basically so i you know there and like i said there's a lot of factors to it i mean deadlines like uh you know are a big big part of it um you know i think a lot of the companies don't have like like dc let go their uh art director mark chiarello who's with the company 
company for like 25 years, right? And that guy's like, every artist, you know, looks up to that guy and his his knowledge and skill level and, you know, his his like tenureship in the industry and that kind of thing. And and so, you know, things like that, I think, have a, a lasting effect. And, you know, DC puts out great looking books still. So that's mm. not necessarily. But, you know, just to that point, like these things aren't necessarily even it's it's interesting because they're they're a visual medium based around drawing. But they're, you know, they're a, they exist to, you know, serve a certain purpose, right? In the in the grand scheme of things. Uh, and they have to be put out in a timely manner and that sort of thing. And so like, you know, corners are inevitably going to get cut, I think. And, yeah. you know, I think it's just kind of like a byproduct. And look, you need, you know, you need sort of the, the gamut uh, to, to run like across all levels for the something to really stick out, right? Like cream can't rise to the top if there's no like milk at the bottom or whatever, right? So it's kind of yeah. like, <laughs> and eventually the other stuff curdles and turns to cream too. And so it's just kind of like a circle of life thing, I think. Um, I hope I haven't sounded like too much of a dick <laughs> talking about no, this stuff. No, no, my fault. I brought no, no worries. <laughs> hey, look, I could, I could toe the line and just be like, everything's great. But, you know, it's, uh, I think it's important to have these conversations because ultimately if, if the quality of comics you know, continues to rise, then like we just get better stories and our, our industry is the better for it. And the medium grows and reaches more people, hopefully, and inspires more people to be better at what they do and all that. And, you know, um, so yeah. And again, everyone's got a different preference. Some people love certain styles that aren't my thing. I love certain styles that aren't other people's thing, you know, so this is all subjective and from my personal thing. I don't want anyone to think (laughs) that I'm like speaking for everybody or, you know, because I know that like it can come across that way when you have like a, an opinion that you sort of stand by, you know, <laughs> which just is a thanks, bummer. Blake. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like in in the world where we're not allowed to have opinions anymore i know i'm sorry sorry I god you can't it. say anything anymore right <laughs> no i that i think i'm a firm believer that we've always been able to say whatever we want there are just consequences for it you know yes yeah right yeah, yeah i could i could say some real dumb shit on my platform and right but i'm like first like i'm not trying to be can i've spent too much money on blake's buzz to get canceled like right. i don't you know and, and I'm, I'm also i'm like not a creep and i'm not like a huge prick so like i don't i don't think i have anything to worry about but i mean the same, the same no you that's have, you have a good you're you're good people and and you are very talented and mm, i thank you man. i think that in this industry even if you get some feedback from stuff it's not like you attacked a person's name you didn't drop a name you didn't drop a real issue you just had an opinion about a style and I think I think artists should be more vocal about that, because like you said, if if people try harder, that other artists are going to try harder. You're going to be like, ooh, like this looked amazing. I want to do something similar to that. And and new artists are going to be like, find new people to look up to and new techniques to to practice. And so, like, it's yeah, a, it's a rolling snowball of awesomeness that may start from having an opinion that people right. not super agree with. And yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the things that, uh, you know, about, about this subject that I think is important to touch on too, is that like, it does have economic effects on working artists, right? Mm. Because if you cultivate a certain skill level, theoretically, and in practice, you should command a higher wage for that skill level, right? Yeah. And that's why, you know, your Greg Capullo's are so sought after because he's phenomenal uh, and his, people love his work and so when you put him on a book that's a big deal and he probably Mm -hmm. commands a top wage you know for what he does right um you got to pay for that home gym right (laughs) 
And so uh, if you just put anyone on Batman, then the value of that skill level decreases and suddenly you're you're paying someone much less than Greg Capullo to, to do it, right? And like that brings down, I think, the level of quality across the board if we're not holding it to higher standards. And so yeah. that that opens up the opportunity for the publishers to hire people for even lower wages who aren't ready yet just because it's cheaper for them. And that makes it harder for artists who have really, you know, put in the work and spent the time to cultivate skill levels, uh, it makes it harder for them to make a living because like, it's just, you know, constantly being devalued because face it. I mean, that's, we live in a capitalist society, right? I mean, that's the name of the game is like, how, how much money can we make and how, how little can we spend to make it? Right. And so I think that's a big part of it too, that I, you know, should have probably touched on earlier because that's ultimately the big thing I think. (laughs) Like, and I, it's tough to talk about this without sounding gatekeeper-y, you know, because like, you know, it's so easy to be like, well, I had to do this and I had to walk uphill in the snow both mm-hmm. ways, you know, like to get to this. And then this person who draws a pretty face on Instagram gets the job, you know, <laughs> I mean, you see a lot of that kind of thing. And I think there's some, you know, some reality to that and some value to it. But I, I'm a big fan of just like, you know what, I'm just going to put out the best stuff I can do. And hopefully that yeah. is what does it, you know. Um, so, you well, know, I mean, in the end, my... that's all, that's all you can control. You're right. You're, you're tightly woven, supremely written time travel narratives that are gorgeous oh, on every page. You. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, like, Hey man, it, it, when you're, when you're knocking out the jams, um, you know, when you're like, I would, I would consider you a, a spitter, right? Like you're, you're, oh, thank you, man. Thank like you. You're, you're these last two books from you, man. Like you're 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 rocking the court you're balling right thank you sir i, appreciate God, I sound that. like such a cheesy white boy saying it sounded cool when you no nah, man when I'm, when i I'm like, like it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i i do think uh, i do think more artists should should be vocal about stuff like that and not not calling people out but just kind of talk i i, I just think a lot of people are are scared to say stuff these days and it sucks because it's like some some people want to hear it and sometimes it makes for a good conversation and sometimes people need to hear what they don't want to hear like yeah um, we're we're human that's the story of the world right like yeah and it can be very validating to hear your opinion expressed from someone else too you know like as long as and i you know as long as it's not hurtful and and derogatory which i think we've done a good job of uh i've you know i should i shouldn't put it on you i'm the one talking (laughs) like i think i've (laughs) I've tried to do a good job of not uh you know like you said being specific or calling anyone out because really this is just a general old you know yeah but uh but yeah man um i had something i was gonna say i don't know what it was but i uh once we're off air i'll tell you the premise of the third book because i think you'll dig it so <laughs> cool well, on, on that note I, I was gonna say we like i know i've kept you a while and uh i know you, you've got it's saturday i would i would assume uh, some people have lives i heard i don't know i don't know what those things nah, are. I'm, <laughs> I'm working and taking care of the dogs that's my uh <laughs> but uh the the polite podcast host that i am um I I feel like it's uh, time to remind our readers uh, where is the best place to you know we've, we've mentioned that you're active on Twitter uh, some people mm-hmm. appreciate that <laughs> uh, but like where where's a good place to find you keep track of your stuff uh, what what new stuff you got coming out where's a good place to to hunt you down at yeah uh, well first of all if people want to pre-order retroactive they can go to retroactivecomic.com and there's a trailer for the 
book that I put together. It's like a cinematic style trailer. Um, and there's a link to uh, if you click like buy here or pre-order or something like that, um, it'll it'll give you options of like a comic shop locator so you can find the nearest comic shop to you or there's a Barnes and Noble link or an Amazon link. Um, I've also got countcomic.com, which is essentially the same website, but just for count so that, you know, all the same stuff. And just a reminder of that pre-order contest we're doing too. So if you pre-order, send an email to count or to uh, retroactivecomic at gmail.com and uh, we'll put your name in for uh, an entry of some cool stuff. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Ibrahim underscore M underscore and that's I-B-R-A-H-I-M. Um, if you look that up on Instagram, I'm on there as well. And I actually just started posting stuff to YouTube. I make uh, custom action figures uh, in, in the little downtime that I have. Um, and I've started to make like vehicles for them too. Um, no so shit. yeah, so I started posting, I, I just made a Dodge Charger for my uh, custom Mezco movie blade. I collect Mezco 112 figures predominantly um, for those initiated. They're like a mini hot yeah, toy. Yeah, so basically. You, you don't just collect action figures. You collect like the dope action. Right. <laughs> well, and I, I, you know, most of the figures I have, I have made or augmented in some way myself, whether I've like repainted the faces or like I made a Geralt of Rivia Mezco figure out of like a Henry Cavill head and like, you know, leather armor that I made out of this like pleather stuff I had laying around. And oh, that's awesome. Um, I've made like a few days of future past style X-Men, like from the movie version of like Mezco, you know, so Mezco, for those don't know, like 112 figures, they're like six inch figures that have like actual clothing on. So it's like tiny little tailored, you know. Um, so yeah, those are all on my Instagram. I posted a bunch on Twitter recently, but I'm, I'm starting to do videos on YouTube of like, Hey, here's what I made and here's how I made it. Cause I tend to get a lot of questions from other customizers or people like, Hey, what did you use for that? So I figured this is the easiest way to, um, so I, I've got a, a Mustang I made for my John Wick figure that I, I'm putting up soon. That was like an old Mustang that I like, you know, that scales with the figure that I like repainted and detailed and stuff like that. Wow. Um, I'm currently working on kit from Knight Rider, uh, out of like a, just an old, like the Pontiac Firebird toy that's like the right size for an action figure. It's a toy from like when the car came out in like 82 or something. <laughs> um, so I'm like, you know, building the front end for it out of like these, this plastic material and I put a hood scoop on it and I've got to make new windows, do an interior dashboard, all that stuff. So um, yeah. So anyway, if you look up my name, Ibrahim Mustafa on YouTube, uh, that stuff will come up. So that is all that man. I don't even, so like I have issues with time <laughs> management. Like I have a day job and like scheduling interviews and I, I'm, I have to like rebuild my blog and like now right. I'm starting to do these live stream things and I'm like, I'm like running out of time and I'm like, I, I need like another day. And you're like, yeah, I'm just putting out these original graphic novels. <laughs> and, you know, I'm just like, I'm a full-time artist and I also like build cars and action figures from scratch and then make these YouTube videos. I'm like, fuck. Listen, it's a, it it, it's super <laughs> time intensive. And I, my wife is very, uh, you know, chill about it. That I think that's a big part. And I don't have children. I mean, that's a huge thing too, yeah, right? Like that, that helps. Um, <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, I go through spurts where like there was a period where I was just making action figures like every second I got. And then I just, I got kind of burnt out on it and like was really focusing on on just you know retroactive at the time and like you know i got really you know you kind of go through like when when drawing become was your hobby and it becomes your job like you kind of need yeah. another creative outlet so that's kind of what that was but then i got really into painting again so i started working you know anyway so yeah i'm just always kind of like bouncing around from this thing to that <laughs> thing and just you know probably not sleeping enough so <laughs> no, who does sleep yeah. sleeps for the week right uh <laughs> 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. Uh, please make sure you pre-order uh, Retroactive. It's sci-fi awesomeness to the max. Uh, Humanoid is putting out some solid goods, so like, just keep an eye on what they put out. Uh, keep an eye on Ibrahim. Get Count. Like, that's there for you right now. You can just get that. You can just get that and read it and enjoy it and, and fall down that wonderful revenge rabbit hole that I just recently experienced that was just all sorts of awesome. Mm -hmm. And Humanoid's books are really nice. They have the, the the soft cover trades have like the cool little gatefold covers and they're just they're they're nice books you should buy them he deserves your money they're great comics he's so talented i'm so ecstatic to get to talk to you this was so fun like thank you so much for Dude, coming on my show man thank you for all the kind words and the great conversation and for you know like i said sharing your time and platform with me and and for telling people about my books man i really really appreciate it no problem <laughs>